This is Spooky Context, where we retell the stories of the unexplained in the Southwest through the lens of history, folklore, and social memory. Okay, so we're back with another episode of Spooky Context. Today I'm going to tell a little bit of a personal story about uh, something that happened to me in a small town cemetery in north central Texas in 2004. But before we get started, we have a couple more things to talk about with uh, Resurrection Mary that you found last week. (laughs) Yes, yes. We're still continuing with Resurrection Mary, but if anything, that just tells you how these Resurrection Mary stories are probably one of the more prolific variations of a ghost story that you that you hear. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay, so, so yeah. What do you have? So uh thank TikTok for these. <laughs> yes, as I'm scrolling through TikTok when I'm bored when I have so many other things I could be doing, but instead I'm just scrolling through TikTok. But okay, whatever. Thank you, TikTok. Um first one, I, I don't remember the name of this original poster. I'll have to go back and find uh her username and we'll put that in the description here. Um, but it's this, uh, it's this girl and she's telling a story about, uh, this quote, imaginary friend that she had when she was young. Um, both her and one of her older brothers, she said, used to play with this girl that they knew as Kitty and they'd play with her on this playground all the time. Let's see. She said very specifically, she remembers this girl, Kitty having red hair, wearing a pink dress all the time. And, you know, she and her brother would play with her. And she said her father was the one who always took her to the playground. He never saw her and just dismissed it as, okay, the kids both just have this same imaginary friend. And then somehow or another, she ends up at a neighbor's house and she sees a picture of the the little girl, Kitty, and points out, oh, yeah, that's that's my friend, Kitty. And the the mother at this house, uh, who's the mother of that girl, Kitty, said, you know, no, you you couldn't have known her. You know, my my daughter died five years ago. You were you would have been too young. You couldn't have known her. And she thought that uh, this girl's parents had put her up to this and were playing a a joke on her. And and she asked her, you know, what you know, what what did she look like? What did she wear? And she said, you know, she had she had red hair and she wore a pink dress all the time. And that made this mother really mad because, again, she thought that this girl's parents had put her up to this and were playing a joke on her and made her really mad and told her, you know, get out and don't come back. And uh but uh, she said, but yeah, she never saw Kitty again after that. But that was apparently who Kitty was, was this neighbor's daughter who had died five years prior when this girl would have been too young to have known her. And how did she die again? You told me that part. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She had apparently had an accident at this this playground where they were. Holy where, shit. The, the same playground where they played. She'd had an accident and had uh, fallen somehow and, and broken her neck and died at this playground. Well, they do tell these stories. Yes, they do tell these stories. But um, yeah, both both of her older brothers actually saw her too. She never saw Kitty again after that. But didn't but even they, the, the the brothers, brothers when they were when, even when they were older, when they were like twelve and fourteen, both of them said that they saw her. God, that's so strange. Yes, but yes, even now, uh, just you know, presently in modern times, we still hear these resurrection Mary type stories. And it's not well. This one's not a phantom hitchhiker. So this is a phantom child. On a, a phantom playgr- child playground. on a playground. But you know, sa- same concept. You know, you see someone interact with someone, don't know that they're dead, and only find out later that they've died. You know, however long prior to that. So in in essence, it really is kind of an extension of the phantom hitchhiker story, but, but because those stories focus so much 
on the time and the place being exactly right. Yes. The, they're, all these stories are very much tied to the place where the death occurred. Yeah, and, and, and so this really is a, a spiritual successor to that type of story, the Phantom Hitchhiker story or the Resurrection Mary story, because it, it's fixed to a certain time and a certain place. Yeah, and then, you know, absent the, the hitchhiker part, follow that same pattern of meet someone, interact with them, don't have any idea that they're dead, only find out later that you couldn't possibly have interacted with them that way because they're dead and have been that way for a number of years. Right. It, once again, it goes back to that, that other episode where we talked about there always has to be the punchline. And it's the, the, you know, the grieving parent that gets really, really pissed off or something of that nature like that. And, and this story had that too. Yes, it did. I, I just find it so interesting that these stories are still occurring. And I, I don't think you could tell what part of the United States this I, occurred I in. I don't know. I, I didn't check her profile or anything to see where she lived. But now I'm curious. I, I know. I now really I'm want. curious. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and look again. It's very interesting to, to hear these types of stories still continuing well into 2022. Uh, there was a historian I've read about recently that did a study on folklore and phantom hitchhikers, I guess back in the fifties. And they had made a comment in that this was getting to be something that was not very common anymore in something that was a very much a product of the interwar generation and a little bit into world war two, but, but by the fifties, it wasn't that common. I think this kind of flies in the face, but that, that, that there still are these stories out there. And they're still happening. And um, and then uh, the, the Resurrection Mary story itself flies in the face of that, because that occurred, they when said, did you say it was? Well, they uh, said Resurrection Mary, the, the first telling of it goes back to the interwar period. It, it goes back to the 30s. But there have been sightings as recently as the, the early 2000s. Okay, no, it was the White Lake one that was you said was supposed to have occurred in, in the, the 50s. The 50s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, White Rock Lake, the one in Dallas, uh, was supposed to occur in the in the 50s, and there have been more sightings still. I actually asked that on Reddit a, a couple weeks ago and got some pretty decent response for Halloween. I figured it was kind of a very appropriate topic to talk about before Halloween. Um, but... Most of the stories you hear now are, are some variation, like I was talking about, where the Lady of the Lake is now some sort of kind of grotesque, almost La Llorona kind of mishmash together, something like that. So it, it just tells me that, that these stories are changing over time and we cannot really you know, track exactly why they're changing over time, but they are. The story I'm going to talk about today, something that happened to me personally and a number of friends of mine, is in a little part of Texas that it probably goes without mentioning, a little town called Moody, Texas. Um, you can look it up. You're not going to miss much. You'll see a bunch of fields and cows <laughs> and stuff, and that's about all you're going to find. But there was a little town there, um, a little town called Perry, Texas. It was called Perry. And now it's known as Old Perry. And th this is something we do in Texas a lot. You know, we establish one place and then the town up and moves it, for some reason. The entire, yeah, literally the entire town will sort of shift elsewhere geographically. Yeah, you'll, you'll have things like natural disaster or 
especially if it was the late seven or eighteen hundreds, it would be the railroads. These small towns literally followed the railroad systems wherever they were going to build a railroad. And Perry is kind of a mixture of both of these. Um, give you a little bit of background on it. There was this little pioneer town called Perry that was first established in the after the Civil War period. So during Reconstruction, we're talking early to or now, actually, no, I, I'm wrong. I, I, I've got to edit myself here. I'm actually wrong on this. It goes back to the 1850s. It goes back to before before the Civil War. I remember I researched this because I, I one year I was teaching uh, a U.S. Uh, history survey course. I was teaching a 1302. This is going back about 10 years. And I had a student in there said they had relatives buried in Perry. And I, I had said, well, th- this town traces back to you know, well after the Civil War. And they corrected me and they said, no, um, my, my family has told me this town goes back to about the founding of this county, which goes back to 1850. So this town is like a little community, is a pre-Civil War community that lasted until about 1873, as the story goes. A destructive tornado came through this town in 1873, and most of the residents, just what was left, just up and moved. Like, literally displaced the entire town. The actual first burial in the cemetery goes back to 1854, so that tracks um, what that student said. Um, So Perry was a very, very small city. It was very, very normal for a pre-Civil War growing community where you had a school, a church, and a post office. There were so many cities in Texas like that that existed just with that minutia like that. And they had a chance to grow or they had a chance not to grow. And unfortunately, Perry was one of these places that the storm came in, displaced it, and they literally moved Perry itself about 25 miles west to neighboring Falls County. And so, you have to remember at this time, this is well pre-interstate highway system. So the railroads for these towns were their lifeline. So it made sense for these little little bitty towns to yeah, pick up the, and, the move, and move yeah. closer to where the railroads were. Yeah, and, and, and just a little historical tidbit for everybody. The, the, the U.S. highway system that we know of today did not really exist until the 1950s. It was largely a product of, of World War II and a bunch of soldiers coming home and being used to, to help develop infrastructure in this country. Did roads exist from point A to point B back then? Sure, absolutely they did. But the reality was the true highway system that we understand did not exist until the 1950s. So that kind of gives you a background of this in this, this little area. The personal story I've got goes back to around 2003 and 2004. I played in a rock band uh, with a number of guys I knew from high school. Uh, I was the oldest one. Um, I was a guitar player. And uh, the other guitar player, you know, typical rock band had two guitar players. Other guitar player lived out near the cemetery, literally like, wouldn't you say he was like about probably a mile or so? Maybe a mile at most from the cemetery. Yeah, he he lived very close, and and he he lived on this beautiful two acre plot. His dad had had this beautiful two story house out there, and they were just literally in the middle of nowhere. 
and it was like the best place if you were a rock band to go and play your music poorly because <laughs> no neighbors to get angry at no, you for playing <laughs> just the cows that would occasionally <laughs> moo and say that sounds like shit and that's that's what they did and and the i remember the big ass dog they had named dingo yeah they had a huge yeah huge dog kind of a cattle herding dog almost oh he i i would have I, I don't know what he was. I never found out what breed he was, but if I had to guess, I would call him a, like a, a shepherd and maybe a cattle dog mix yeah, or something. He, he, he was definitely cattle dog from what I remember. He was a cool dog. Well, he was too big to be pure cattle dog. Yeah, so I was. think he was like a shepherd mix with the cattle dog or something. But So, yeah, it was a it was a cool place. And we spent most of our weekends out there. And when you're in a you know, high school, early college rock band, because I, I was going... Uh, going to undergrad at uh, Baylor University, which is in the same town. This is Waco, so Central Texas. We spent most of our weekends out there. I wasn't in a frat or anything, so how did I spend my time? I spent my time playing in a rock band with a bunch of dudes, and we, we went around and just played a lot of different places, And but we would always practice out at this this guy's house that lived out by the cemetery. I'm guessing this was probably like around July of 2004, something like that. We had played a show somewhere out in a little town that that went on this little road that kind of went past the cemetery. And it was one of those things that I had never seen it before. And a lot of us had never seen the cemetery, but our guitar player knew all about it because, I mean, he went up and down those roads all the time. He, He lived out there, but we didn't know about it. And so we were coming back from this nearby little town called McGregor. And it had a road that literally went right by the cemetery. And it's it's funny because the railroad went exactly right by the cemetery. It's like you you literally went like 500 yards dead off of where the railroad track was and there was a cemetery. It's how close they were trying to build this town around the railroads. I was a music major at the time, but I've always been interested in history. And so it's like two in the morning and I tell them, Hey, let's stop here a second. And we've got our drummer who um, was probably already inebriated at this time. He was sitting in the back of my truck and we, we stopped to shine our lights into the cemetery. And it was, it was really interesting because you saw the gates of the cemetery. And then there's this huge American flag that that's probably about a hundred yards into it on top of a hill. And we told our drummer and it, I think it was the other guitar player that told him usually that they were the two that, that made bets with each other on anything and just, just did anything as stupid as possible. And so it, it comes out that we tell the, the drummer, hey, why don't you go uh, run in there real quick and, and just go run to the, the back of the cemetery, come back out, just go into a dead sprint and, and come back and we'll, we'll watch you. We have the lights on the truck. And of course, I, I had to be a jackass about it. And as soon as he took off in there, I turned and turned uh, parallel to the cemetery. So it was pitch dark and he couldn't see a damn thing in there. But uh, he, he went in there uh running in and screaming and no i am not condoning doing this stuff this is being extremely short-sighted in categorically 19 that that's the only way i can describe it <laughs> extremely short-sighted and categorically 19 i think that, yes that's a that's a good description <laughs> so and i hadn't met you yet no that th- was this probably was, for the best this was shortly before we met though because i graduated high school in 04 
so I started freshman year at Baylor in 04, and we met very early into second semester, so it would have been early, early 05 right. when we met. The drummer goes in and comes out of the cemetery, and he's like, dude, this place is creepy. And, of course, now our interest is peaked. It's one of those things. Now our interest is truly, truly peaked. It shouldn't have been, but it was. Because this is the guy who was kind of Billy Bad. I mean, he was a drummer. Drummers have that kind of persona that, you know, nothing bothers him. But he got shook up. I don't. And he never told me exactly what happened that first time. But this just leads into the rest of the story. So, of course, now our interest is peaked. And now we're thinking, we have got to go in and investigate this damn thing. Or at least me. That 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 was where I was coming from. And now I, I had the the job of convincing everybody else that yes, we needed to go in and do like a ghost hunters style investigation. Now, this is before Ghost Adventures and Zach Vegans and all those guys. So actually, you know it's real funny. That that was the year that they put out that Ghost Adventures movie that later became the the, the springboard the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. But this was when ghost hunters, the show ghost hunters was still in, was in full force. Yeah. Grant and Jason Hawes. Yes. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that, that was our guiding principle at that point is we had to be like those dudes. Our, our uh, guitar player who lived out there, his dad, um, was a very notable guy. He was a president of, of probably the only bank for like about 20 miles around there. And we, Kind of took it upon ourselves to annoy him for, God, I would say probably a good two months. And we finally got permission to go out in the cemetery. We were going to do an investigation over two nights. We said there's going to be two nights. We're going to go in there. It was around Halloween. I think it was like second or third week of October. We went there. And then this part of Texas, um, usually the weather is still trying to decide if it's going to be 100 or like 70 and it, you know, it's kind of Texas weather in October is bipolar. Yeah. I mean, Texas weather is weird all the way around, no matter what, but it's especially bipolar in October. Yeah. And so we had, we had been looking at the weather, trying to figure out the right time we wanted to go in there because we didn't want to be freezing our ass off. And because usually when November rolls around, if it's a normal year, it starts getting cold like it is right now. Cold, cold is relative. In Texas, yeah. by the way. Yeah. We planned two days. It was a Friday and Saturday. We were going to go in this cemetery. And we, we pretty much get everybody we know that would have a fleeting interest in, in wanting to do this and pack everybody up in my truck. And I've got an EMF detector. I'm, I'm ready to go. I've got everything I need. An EMF detector. And you actually I, had an EMF detector? Yeah. It's been lost over the years. <laughs> I need it. I need to get another one, just ha- have it like a, a paperweight on my desk. It would be good for that. But I had the camera. I called it the camera because I, I had seen it used on Ghost, uh, ghost Hunters. It was a, a Sony Hi8. If anybody is old enough to remember those tapes, the Hi8 tapes. They're terrible. They were terrible. They looked oh, God, awful. They're awful. They looked utterly awful. And I had a Hi8 recorder, and but it had night vision. And that was like the thing. I remember this camera. I remember this one. I have carried this camera with me for almost 20 years now. Just because but, it's no, but so But when I rare. met you, you were still actively using it. I remember this camera. Yeah, it was a cool camera. I, for the time, it was, it was badass for the time. And so, yeah, we were going to go in and go investigate this thing. And we convinced our whole band to go in there. 
I remember now because I've I've been retelling the story a lot around Halloween. Uh, we did go in there like earlier uh, that day on Friday, like like Friday afternoon. We, we literally like left town, went out to this guy's house, and me and like two other people just kind of went in there just to kind of recon this thing and make sure. You know, no one was going to fall into a hole and break a leg or anything like that. If there were anything like that, we just kind of wanted to see, know the terrain. Because literally the only times we had been by this place was at like 2 or 3 in the morning after we had already went and raided the, the Dunkin' Donuts. It was a Krispy Kreme uh, at the cream, time. It right, was a Krispy yeah. Kreme. Yeah, so so th- th- there was usually a mixture of Krispy Kreme donuts and alcohol involved. <laughs> and the only time we had seen this thing... At, at, yeah. at this time, because this was just like a year before I met you, and we used to do this even after I met you, but the, the Krispy Kreme was cool because it stayed open till like 2 or 3 a.m. Yeah. And if you were lucky enough to, to go at like 2 or 3 a.m., that was when they were like mass producing all their glazed donuts. Yeah, for the, for the next for morning. For the next morning. And if you went, if you bought like a dozen glazed donuts, they just throw in another dozen for you, just give you a free dozen donuts. And they were hot. Yes, and, and they were fresh and hot. Yeah, they were awesome, awesome donuts. It's funny when we we were living in Lubbock, we had a Krispy Kreme there, and I never went there. But they closed at night. But it's, yeah, they closed. They didn't. COVID they didn't stay everything. open till like two and three in the morning, like they did. Yeah, that, damn I mean, it, that's COVID. The, you ruined another. I thing. know. Co- another good thing COVID ruined that that people might not have thought about at first, but being up late ass night early morning whatever you want to call it and getting the fresh Krispy Kreme donuts yeah oh, and then Walmart, of course Waco Walmart couldn't too. keep the Krispy Kreme it closed down because Waco can't keep anything nice no then they turned it into a barbecue place that didn't stay open for very long and I don't even know what the hell it and is and then now. it became last last we saw it before we moved it that was when it became the uh, Schlotzky's that's right so, so you you know it kind of went downhill when it becomes the Schlotzkys, and you know Schlotzkys is supposed to be like you know artisan sandwiches, but uh, what I I got in Waco did never impress me very much. Granted, it was the Waco version of Schlotzkys, so yeah, Waco ruins everything. Yeah, if you cannot tell by listening to this, I'm not a fan <laughs> of my home city at all. I, I much prefer DFW to to Waco. Yeah, Waco has a unique way of just taking chain restaurants and then making them as mediocre as possible. True. I mean, they really do. <laughs> yeah, you got to do better, Waco. But but granted, you know, I, okay, I'm just going to go tell this because this is still pissing me off a day later. There was a, a sandwich chain that was good at one time, and that was Potbelly. Potbelly sandwiches used <laughs> to be is, good. This is still bothering this you that badly. This is still bothering me. And <laughs> God damn it, I've got to talk about it because it's making me mad. Oh. We had one in Waco. So years ago when we were living there, we had one. But of course, like every good thing that Waco has, Waco finds a, a unique way to ruin it. An- it. Another thing Waco couldn't keep, the Potbelly closed yeah, down. it closed down. It was real sad. It was by Baylor. I mean, why could it not do well? It was by Baylor. So anyway, it closes down. Just, just one of the many things about Waco that makes no sense. And, and then it closed down before we moved. We moved to Lubbock. Lubbock didn't have one. So I, I, I just kind of... At least of, we never found one. Yeah, I don't know if, if it did, did but I never we saw never it. found one. But, but it just kind of escaped my mind. And then when we moved uh, 
back to DFW, there's this really, really big shopping center off of I-35 right outside of Fort Worth. It has one. And so I saw it, and I'm like, eh, okay, well, it just kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And then we finally went and ate there yesterday, and my God, I have never been so damn disappointed in my life. It was salt. All it was was just pure salt. It was awful. The bread was awful. The cheese was awful. The meat was just salty. And and why the hell did this podcast about the paranormal become a food (laughs) review podcast? Because let me tell you, people, the potbelly in Fort Worth was a goddamn disappointment. I tried about every sandwich chain out there, and it was a goddamn disappointment. I'm sorry. I'll get off my soapbox now. You're that disappointed about potbelly. I was. It's a goddamn disappointment. I'm pissed. But aside from pot, Billy, you know, the only time we saw this cemetery was in the middle of the night. So we decided to go early in, in the day and just kind of scope it out. The area I looked at in particular was this area up by, by the American flag. It, it, it's literally one of these old kind of pioneer style cemeteries where you literally like watch the land go up and it goes to a hill and it's it's like one of these idyllic cemeteries where, where you could probably take pictures of it and it would look like something great to put in Texas Monthly or something. I mean, it really, and they kept the thing up good too. Like uh, that is one thing I've always got to say about that cemetery is they have a, a cult following, no pun intended, um, for other things involving Waco, uh, but they keep it up. So, I looked around that, and, and there, there's a, a cluster of, of veterans' graves around there where that American flag was. So it was like a veteran section, if that makes any sense. I kind of knew where everything was just in preparation for going there that night. And so the first night we go in, it's like around 8 o'clock. I get stuck looking at this. If, if I have my cardinal directions right, it was the south, yeah, southeast corner. I literally got stuck there, and from what other people said, I lost time. And, and I, this is the only time in my life this has happened. It was so, so strange. I got to staring at this gravestone of a three- or four-year-old girl that died in the 1880s. And, and I don't know why. I, I got fixated on it. The girl I was dating at the time it was off walking around with our singer's girlfriend, the rest of them were, were going in through looking through the cemetery. And I had literally sat there for almost 45 fucking minutes. And, and I had no concept of it. it to me, it, it was like five minutes had passed. It was, it was the strangest thing I've, I've ever experienced like that. I've experienced some strange shit. But, but this was truly odd. Because I've never experienced like, like missing time before to that degree. I was just standing there, and, and three or four of them said, yeah, you were just standing there the whole damn time. Oh, that's weird. Oh, it's weird. Oh, it's weird. That's weird. Yeah, and, and so it, it was like 10 o'clock or something like that. We're like, get EVPs. So so we had some of those, uh, you remember them, those cheap little Sony tape recorders with those mini cassettes. You remember those little bastards? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the hi-eight version of cassette tapes, basically. Yeah, awful. But, but you awful. know, <laughs> everybody had them back then because of damn ghost of, uh, ghost hunters. I can't want to say ghost adventures, but not ghost adventures. Ghost hunters. Everybody had them. 
Because, and I, I even remember on, on Art Show, uh, Art Bell Show, the Coast to Coast, he would have those, e, you remember those EVP people yep. that would show up on there? Mm-hmm. And that, that old woman that, that was like the ringleader of these EVP people always used those little tape recorders. And they, they sounded some, awful. They sounded awful, but they get creepy shit on there. I, I mean, absolutely. And we did too. And I've got a number of hard drives that I'm going to go through over the holidays. It, it is my goal to, to find the, the damn hard drive I've got. And uh, just to tell you how much of a historian I truly am, even on my own personal level, I have traveled every time we've moved with no less than about 30 or 40 hard drives <laughs> that date back to 2000. That, that is true. They're a monumental pain in the ass to move every yes, time they are, we do. And they're, he- they're heavy as shit. But I always bring them because um, I've slowly over the years tried to digitize everything off of them. And I, I distinctly remember, because I've always had recording stuff. I've always been into recording. And I took the headphone jack out of that little um, cassette player and ran it through a, a digital audio workstation, a doll, just like I'm using right now to record this. Um, I think it was Cakewalk back in the day. I'm date myself for anybody who understands audio out there. We got an EVP and it was creepy-ish. It, oh my God, it just, oh, it gives me chills even thinking about it now. It literally sounded like a bunch of people were huddled together, like like just nervously talking. Yeah, the way you always described it to me is it sounded like a bunch of people together, like like you'd overhear people like talking at a church congregation before the, the sermon started right. or something. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. And so from the proximity of what I understand of this little town, the church got tore down. It was some sort of Christian union church. I don't remember exactly what the denomination was, but it was right next to the cemetery. But when we were out there in 2004, there was nothing. There was nothing. It was just a cemetery. You remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, no, there's, in 05, there's we nothing there. around that there's cemetery. No, there's nothing. Yeah. So anyway. It, it was a very creepy, and I know they use these terms about the quality of EVP, EVPs. It was a Class A EVP. It was creepy as shit. It wasn't like just people talking before a church service. It was nervous talking. And I guess... The, the talking that people do just to, just to not have silence around. Yes. But, but you know, the, the funny thing is, after I became a historian and I, I really started studying that little town... The, the image I always got in my head was, were they in that church before that storm hit and they got wiped out? I don't know the history of this place enough to know that. And I don't think anybody does because most of the records are non-existent. But I always got, that was the image I always got in my head is, is that it was some sort of kind of stone tape, if you will, the, the term that Zach Bagans has used many times, that stone tape theory that it's just this repeating thing from all that energy that existed at that time, maybe when that storm came through and wiped out and killed a bunch of people. You know, you, you look at that cemetery, it has an awful hell of a lot of people buried in it. I'm looking on Find a Grave right now. It's got 744, which is just inordinately large for one, this part of Texas, if it wasn't a bigger city. And for these little pioneer cemeteries, it, that is inordinately large. Because I've studied this. That was, that was one of the other aspects I kind of studied in grad school was looking at this stuff. And, I, and that was one of the projects I always did was I, I took some of my students. Uh, you remember when I taught summer? Mm-hmm. I, I teach a summer course and I'd always take them out to a local cemetery yeah. and we do a project there about uh, history and local cemeteries. Yeah, and just us. We visited a lot of these little 
little pioneer cemeteries throughout Texas, and most of them have maybe a couple hundred graves in them at most. 744? Yeah. Now, what's interesting, and I've got to put this in balance a little bit too, is the descendants of that original township are very allegiant to it, and they're still burying their dead there. Which could account for it accounts some for of that some number. of it, but it's still inordinately large. Because you think you go back to the 1850s, how big was that town to begin with? The initial township was maybe a couple hundred people at the most. I mean, and I, I think I'm being generous with saying a couple hundred, because specifically this part of Texas, most of these tiny little townships they had like this probably had less than a hundred people. That I, that's probably being generous. All in all, there's just a lot of oddities. Anyway. We got this EVP on night one and we went back to the guitar player's house at about like four in the morning. I mean, we were literally out there from eight to four. I mean, we were pounding the pavement, so to speak, trying to find something. We didn't capture anything on camera. Um, I watched through all the hours and we went through three tapes that night. I didn't, we didn't capture anything and it, it, it was very abnormally calm. Is the only way I can describe it. Abnormally calm. The next night, though, was utterly and completely different. Uh, we got out there like around 930. And I, I, I distinctly just the, the day is just like emblazoned in my mind because we had went to eat in a, near, uh, a nearby place in McGregor. Um, there's that famous coffee shop cafe out there and we always went to eat out there and we went to eat out there and it was about another 15 miles away. And we were, we wanted to get out there at eight and we, we got busy eating and talking to a bunch of other people. So we get out there, start recording, start running EVPs. We're not catching anything, but, but the, we're getting wind. This is one of those days, you know, we're like, like I said, Texas weather's bipolar. The night before, it was probably about, you know, 75, 80 degrees, nothing. But this next night, it was completely different. It was cold as shit. Uh, I, can, I can remember that. It was just markedly colder. So like around midnight, I remember our singer, he had his girlfriend there. And his girlfriend also was running a camera, too. Um, she was very, very into film. And she had her own camera. I don't think it was similar to mine, but it wasn't. It didn't have night vision. And she kept telling me her camera was screwing up. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Because um, we had two batteries each for both of our cameras. I think it was like 30 minutes later. She said, yeah, my, my battery's dead. I know I charged it. So, you know, this is one of those things that we've commonly heard about manifestations is they will drain batteries. And, and it happened. And it was real interesting because I, I guess we're on like 1, one fifteen. I looked down at mine. It's completely dead. So we put a put in a different battery. Thirty minutes later, it's dead. None of this happened the first night. I, I just can't stress that enough that that none of this stuff happened the first night we were there. Yeah, your batteries worked just fine the first night. No issues, zero issues. Uh, even the little EVP recorders that were running off of two AAA batteries all went dead. Everything went dead, and so we were like flying blind by, by about like one forty-five in the morning. We were literally flying blind. Nothing was working. Obviously, this is in the era before iPhones. This is 04. So I had this little flip phone. It's this little LG phone 
that that I, I always said it, it was the bat phone because it was red. It was like this little red phone I had. And that, I, yes, I've seen it. I've seen that. So one. The, the the story behind that that the phone, era of flip phones, yeah. children. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't find the model number if I wanted to. I, I don't remember. But it was an LG flip phone. And it was kind of badass at the time. I got it for my birthday. I remember my mom and the, the girl I was dating at the time got the phone for me because I kept losing my damn phone. I'm colorblind. And they thought having a bright colored phone would, you know, help me out. No, I didn't. I still lost the damn thing. I, I lost the phone all the time. But the cool thing about this phone is it had... <laughs> a really good battery life. <laughs> like for phones at the time, those, you know, flip phones did, were not the best in no. battery life. If you wanted battery life, you got one of the little Nokia brick phones. You know, the ones that everybody had those. Everybody had, everybody those, had those. Yeah. That's if you wanted battery life, that's what you got. Well, I had to be a rebel. I had to have the flip phone. Color does not stop people from absentmindedly setting stuff down and not paying attention to where you put it. Well, yeah, but every, as, as a serial lose something that was in my hand two minutes ago person, I can tell you the color does not stop you from setting your shit down while you're not paying attention to what you're doing and then not knowing where you put it. I would honestly love a iPhone Pro, uh, whatever year it is, in red, that red that Apple makes. Because uh, I know they donate, they donate money along with every one of those phones. I, I really wish they made one. One because I, I would like to for my money spent on to be sent in for a donation, and two, I could see that damn thing. That is true. You have complained about not being able to see the black iPhones on your I desk or whatever. I, I, I hate them. I, I I don't know how many times I I, I work on on the third story of a building, and I don't know how many times four thirty rolls around. I'm rolling out of my office to get out as quick as I can because I know I got to deal with Dallas traffic on the way back to Fort Worth. And then I get down in the elevator. I'm on my way down. I'm like, oh, motherfucker, I forgot my phone. I do it almost every fucking day. And it's because I'm colorblind. (laughs) And And you just don't see your phone laying there on your desk. No, I don't. (laughs) Aside from talking about cell phones, the odd thing, too, is our cell phones started going dead. In that cemetery. So this is the camera. This is the tape recorders, your cell phones, everything, everything, everything started going dead. Um, around two, it's so damn weird because I can remember just down to like 30 minute time frames because of just how creepy this was. The girl I was dating at the time was, was a pretty hardcore skeptic. She didn't really believe in anything. And I, I guess it was around two and I made this comment that, you know, things are just feel different. And, and usually she'd say, oh, yeah, you're full of shit and just kind of go on with life. And but, but it was different. She said, no, nah, something's different. And that, that was the most I got out of her. And I remember going to talk to my singer and the band afterwards. And he's like, dude, this place is this place just took on a vibe. And, so, and, and he, he explained it so damn well. He, he, he said, it's literally like a veil just came down over this damn place. I'm not going to say the, the, you know, the weather just went down 30 degrees or something like that. It just felt colder. It just felt colder. I guess it was probably around 2.15, 2.30 or so. Our drummer who um, got easily bored because he, he thought a lot of what we were doing was bullshit. But, you know, he, he came just for the sake of, you know, entertaining us dumbasses. He decided to start running through the cemetery again. 
like he did before. And, and you know, we, we were trying to run a professional operation, but at this point, I guess he just kind of felt like, you know, what the hell, we'll just do it because none of the cameras are working, nothing's working. And we were about to leave anyway because we, we had said, well, you know, this is kind of bust. We're, we're going to leave. He starts running. Uh, he's at the front gate, near the front gate. Because he had been back and forth to my truck. Uh, he was calling the girl he was dating at the time, too, and he was using my, my phone. And I, I truly don't think that was a huge contributor to why my phone died. Normal use. We're, we're talking very normal use. But everything started dying quickly within a matter of an hour to hour and a half. And he just comes back through the, the front gate of the cemetery. And he's like, dude, I'm just going to run to the back of it just like I did a, a while back. And we're just going to see what happens. Okay. All right. What the hell? Go ahead. So he starts running through the cemetery, screaming at the top of his lungs. And then there's this part of me, even though we had permission to be there, this part of me goes, oh, shit, the cops are going to get called on us. Oh, God, I'm the oldest one here. (laughs) They're going to they're they're going to think I'm I'm, you know, encouraging juvenile delinquency or some (laughs) shit. And and I'm thinking, what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. Who's going to call the cops on you? The cows? I mean, I literally like had damn near a panic attack over that. And that's so weird because, like, you, like you, like you said, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, there's nothing around this place. There is nothing. There's no houses. There's nothing. Like there, there's, our, our singer's house was a mile away. Like I'm not joking when I say who's going to call the cops on you? The cows. There's yeah. nobody around to complain about what's going on. But but I just ha- I mean it was like a panic attack, a legit panic attack. I started freaking out, heart palpitations, the whole nine yards. I remember it distinctly. And I remember I finally had to go sit down in my truck because I, I literally thought I was having a heart attack. I'm starting to walk back towards the truck. Girl on Dayton's coming with me. Uh, our singer's coming with me, too, because our singer's getting he's getting weirded out by it. I mean, aptly so. It was weird. I'm looking back around. And I see our drummer coming over the top of this hill. You know how I've described how the geography of it. Yeah, that, that hill with the, the flag on it. Right. And he's coming up over the top of it. And and. This is one of those nights to where we're not at a full moon yet, but we have enough moonlight that you can see shadows and maybe like three quarter moon or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. You can see enough. And, and I see so, that. So no, no clouds, clear night. Very clear. Very, very clear. I, I remember that. And so I, I see our drummer coming over the top of this hill. I see he's to the right of the American flag. And then all of a sudden he's not. Like, he's just not there. I looked over our singer and said, he, where's he at? And he's like, I can't see him. And then all of a sudden, he starts screaming. Like, th- this is the guy. He didn't get scared easily, is the best way I can put it. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a tough SOB. He really was. And he is screaming, like, panic screaming at the top of his lungs. And so we all kind of run over there, and he's on the ground. So, like, like, literally, we're looking one minute. He's there one minute. He's not. We get over there. He's on the ground, almost in tears. He, he is shook up, completely shook up over this. And, and he's saying something is messing with me. Something's following me. Something's messing with me. So we get the hell out of there. Uh, about every one of us, even the skeptics included, are all sufficiently creeped At that point, everybody's, like, everybody's noping the hell out of there. Yes. Everybody's sufficiently creeped the fuck out. So we go back to the, the, the guitar player's house who lived a, a mile away, I had to charge all the cameras and everything. And I, I didn't, I didn't look at anything until the next day. Anyway, 
number of us went back into town. The singer, his girlfriend, the drummer, and the other guitar player stayed out of his house. We went back into town. The next morning, I got a call from uh, the guitar player, and he's he's telling me that that the drummer's been acting real weird overnight. That saying he's seen shadow people in his house. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, just seeing shadow people. And, and this house, we were in this house all the damn time. I never got the impression this house was haunted. Never. Nothing. Zilch. Yeah, and, and we, even, we even went there several times after we met because uh, you guys were still kind of playing around together yeah. after we met. And yeah, I never felt anything weird at that house either. The long story short of it is I'm still convinced he had an attachment. From there, I'm convinced I had an attachment from that place. Yeah, even not too long after we met you, because uh, I never went to the cemetery at night. You you finally brought me out there to see it at some point during the day. It was during the day. I refused to go back. Yeah, I out I, there at night. Yeah, you know, I only I only went that one time. We went out there for just a little bit in the middle of the day. Uh, I would not go back out there. Yeah the. The impressions I got from it was that at least the day we went there, it seemed just the whole, everything about it, just the air, everything about it just seemed unusually still. Because remember, this is out in the middle of nowhere in, in central Texas. There, there's usually at least a, a, a slow, gentle breeze out there. Yeah, especially the time of year we went out there, because it, it was around Halloween, I think, when we went out there. Um, yeah, it's, it's usually not just still. Yeah, it's almost in Texas one like of those, that. The silence kind of has a sound kind of thing. Yeah. It, 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 it really was. Yes, it was, was unusually still, unusually quiet. And the thing I remember most about it was it seemed like there was an unusually large number of children's graves. There were. In that cemetery. And they were all around the same time period in the early 1880s. And it, it never, I guess, clicked to me until, until I became a historian that that part of Texas that we lived in had a real bad uh, flu epidemic in the early 1880s. There's not a hell of a lot of records to substantiate medical history because this is verging into medical history and sort of epidemiological history there too. But that I do know. And especially in that time period, figuring out causes of death in children, especially young children, it was extremely not difficult. Great. It was yeah. extremely difficult. I felt like I was followed. I didn't feel like I shook it until about 2012 or 2013. Oh, yeah, because even after I met you for years, you, you'd tell me you thought that something followed you out of there and it still hadn't gone away. I'll, I'll never forget the, the, the thing that, that really convinced me of it, because I, I always thought it was in my head. I mean, I am a skeptic, even though, yes, I'm here talking about this. I am a skeptic. You've got to prove things to me before I'm going to give it any sort of validity. But this is a personal experience, and it's a personal experience I cannot explain. I don't have any sort of empirical way to explain things. And and I'll talk about more in a different episode. But I was teaching. I was teaching dual credit, and there was a teacher. You you know this story. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a teacher there um, that was Native American, and I used her classroom because I, I was working with the community college. So I would come out and teach dual credit like early in the morning, like seven in the morning, and I, I used her classroom. And uh, this teacher's mother—I uh, don't know if she worked for the school district or what—but she she was always kind of in and out. There was this one day I always tried to get out of there as quick as possible because I had to like teach two of these in a row, and then I had to go back to campus and teach two. 
So I, I got yeah, that, there. and then they had their class starting like right after you. So yeah. you had to book it out of there yeah. pretty quickly. But I, I remember one day the the mother of this teacher stopped me in the hall and she said, do you know you're being followed? God still creeps me out. I was like, well, well what the hell do you mean? Follow it, follow. But because, you know, I, I don't wear this on my sleeve thinking about this because especially. No. Yeah. And I remember when you first told me the story, you said you hadn't mentioned this story at all I had to, not mentioned to any, any of, of these this. classes. No. Like the, that teacher couldn't have overheard you talking about this because you hadn't mentioned it. No, to any of the classes where she might have walked in on you telling the story or anything. And see, this was before Halloween, and usually I, I would do something for Halloween. I, I'd always stop class for a day, and we'd talk about you know the, the same things that we're talking about in this podcast. But it wasn't then; it was like in September. And she and she stopped me, and she said, "You know, you're being followed." I'm like, and you know, this this is the the the, the bad thing. My gut reaction is, I knew exactly what the hell she was talking about. But but then the logical part of my brain says, I, I want to still be gainfully employed and not get this, you know, coming back to the college and them thinking I'm some sort of loon or something. Yeah. And then, of course, the logical part of your brain, you know, immediately reacts to that gut reaction and says, no, that can't possibly be what she's talking about. Yeah. And and, and I, I didn't want to insult her. So I said, followed by what, ma'am? And she's like, you know, that's why you creep me out even more is she said, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I said. I think I do, but, but can you help me out a little bit? And she said, you have a spiritual attachment. And, and you know, at that point, the guard just kind of went down. I said, yeah, I've thought that for a number of years. And she's like, she said, death is following you. And it creeped me the fuck out. I, I mean, psychologically, that, that just fucked with me so bad. She said, death is following you. The weird thing about, about a lot of this is I had to think back to a number of things that happened around the time we went out to that cemetery. And part of the, the, the story that I don't tell too often is me and the, the guitar player almost died in a fatal car wreck less than a month or so after we went in that cemetery. Yeah, and ironically, the, that car wreck you were in, we'd gone on our first date like, just a day or two before that because we were both in music school we went on our first date like maybe that friday or something and then the that crash happened over that weekend i think that's right and then we came back to class that monday and you told me that you'd almost died in a car crash over the weekend and i thought you were messing with me because that was like right after i met you and my first thought was that's not something you tell somebody you you just met this you know this this early on and we just I, I, went I on our first date. You. No, you weren't. I thought you were messing with me. I didn't believe you until you pulled out the pictures of the car and, I, and showed me what happened. I was driving a, a white 1999 Firebird. It hit, it, it clipped a tree. Me and the guitar player getting out of that car. And I remember thinking, I'm probably dead because I saw the car. I saw the tree. I saw the strike. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm a fucking ghost. Like I, I, that was the first fucking thoughts that came out of my head because there's no way I could have survived that. And, but we did apparently. Yeah. And, and didn't you say the police officer who showed up at the wreck told you that you shouldn't have walked out of that? Yeah. The, it was a DPS trooper. It's a, it, it, see what, what was so strange about it is he was a fairly young DPS trooper. So I was like, 
19 when this happened. He couldn't have been like over 24, 25. And he was shook the fuck up from this. And he, he just kept saying, he, I don't know how the hell you're alive. And he said, yeah, I've been to a bunch of fatal accidents, you know, over the past couple of years. I don't know how the hell you're alive. But we walked out literally without a scratch. And then, yeah, and, you know, I'm going back to to make more sense of what this woman told me. Year, and we're talking years later, almost 10 years later, that, you know, death was following me. And, and I and the, the, it, was, it was weird. The first two things that went through my head when when she said that was that damn car wreck. And the fact I almost drowned like two years before that or not two years before it, it would have been like 2002. And so I, I had had these kind of skirts with, with, with death. And, and then it just got my mind going of, so what is she talking about? Is something following me? Because I don't know. I mean, did, did something trade places with me or, or did something just like, let's just take the simple version of the story and something followed me out of that cemetery. And I've struggled with that over the years. I've, I, I'll be honest, I've struggled with it a lot. I've struggled trying to make sense of that, but I, I've I've kind of come to the realization that that it was the latter because of what happened to our drummer too. You, you know as well as I do, his mm-hmm. life took a very wrong turn yeah, he, after this. He downward spiraled in a very bad way after that and it, Cause, it was because yeah because i met you yeah like shortly after you guys did the whole cemetery thing right yeah like maybe just a few months or so after that and uh by the time i met yeah, met the drummer he was already starting to spiral yeah and he wasn't like he, that before then and yeah he, he already had a pretty severe alcohol problem by the time i met him it just got worse and you know, for the sake of privacy or anything that could be, you know, remotely related, I'm not going to go into any more of it. But the the long and the short of it was every time I've talked to him off and on over the years, he's always said that that event changed his life for the worse. That going in that cemetery changed his life for the worse. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a personal experience. Um, I'm I'm detailing a personal experience here. And, you know... It's like I always try to do. I try to be as academic as possible about things, but but there's a lot of stuff and a lot of things, collateral things that have happened over the years since we went in that cemetery that have been very, very eerily connected and un, unexplained. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, your tattoos also. Oh, are you yeah, going like to talk your, about that? Yeah, like your very first one that you got and then the one on your, your shoulder. Yeah, you can, you can tell that. Yeah, but no, um, yeah, only, the only thing about those tattoos is, yeah, they're fairly small as far as tattoos go. And you've gotten way bigger tattoos in places that should have hurt way worse than either of those. But those are both protection symbol tattoos, and you had very bad reactions to those. Those, those two in particular, like when you were getting them, you got really, really pale. Uh, you got the shakes really bad. You were like cold sweating really bad. I'm not a wimp when it comes to tattoos. No, like I said, like I said, you've got tattoos. you've got much bigger tattoos in places that should have hurt a lot worse than those two. But for some reason, those two really, really messed me. Yeah, up. Yeah, those two messed you up. It's funny. I, I don't remember a lot of it. I, I I don't. I just I in the most most of my tattoos. I I guess I got around. My mid twenties. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been late, late two thousands, early two thousand tens. Yeah, it had been something like that. Yeah, the the yeah, because the last tattoo I got was after my dad died. 
I yeah, got, and that was that yeah, was 2019. Yeah. yeah, I got the the altar bird symbol, the mm-hmm. the, the bird, black the blackbird. Yeah, yeah, because that's the last one I've got. Mm-hmm. Then, then the one before that was the the one I got drunkenly in New Orleans. <laughs> And that's a that's a big ass tattoo. That one, it's on the back of my yeah, arm. Yeah, it's like all over the side and the back of your arm. That that's what I'm talking about. Is it's a big ass tattoo and in like on like the back of your arm too, where it should have hurt. But that one didn't bother you. No, and it, I don't think it was just because you were inebriated and weren't feeling anything at that point. No, because there were some I, I got stone cold sober and much more complex and on my arm. Yeah. Didn't, didn't bother you at all. Yeah. And you're right. They were both, they were both, you know, protection symbols is what they were. So yeah, th- this just took a corner into mysticism 101 a little bit here, but you're right. I didn't make that connection. But no, so, for, but for both of those, like you looked like you were on the verge of passing out. Yeah. I felt like it from what I remember. I, I damn sure thought I was. Yeah. It, it's, it's real strange. But uh, there's a lot more to this uh, that I'll kind of unpack over, over the episodes and talk some more. But that's sort of ground zero in a lot of ways. But I, I'd i be remiss to say that I do have to eventually tell the story of how I lived in a haunted house for 15 years yes. of my life. Like a truly haunted house that we sold in the people are still having issues with kind of haunted house. I'll tell that later, but uh, until the next one and probably the next one, actually, I know the the next one, we're going to tell the story of how we visited Aurora, Texas. Oh yes. We visited the, the grave of an extraterrestrial. Correct. In Aurora, Texas. But yes, but so before I go, last thing I found on, on TikTok, if you want to hear the resurrection Mary story in song version, um, go find a song by an artist named Dickie Lee, um, released in 1965. Um, it's a song basically telling the story about how he met this girl named Lori one night. You know, lovely girl, absolutely fell head over heels with her right away, walked her home, you know, took her home, kissed her goodnight. On the way home, she was cold and asked for his sweater. And then he's walking away. He remembers, oh, yeah, she has my sweater, goes back, knocks on the door. And this old man answers the door and he explains who he is and what happened. Of course, the old man gets mad at him and says, you know, why would you ask me this? No, my, my daughter died a year ago today. You, you weren't with her. And so he leaves and you were he, with a ghost. He feels <laughs> yeah, he feels compelled <laughs> to go to the cemetery and he finds this girl's grave and there's his sweater on her grave. I know it's a song, but that's still creepy as shit. But yeah, that's, you know, there's Resurrection Mary's story and song version. So yeah, we'll leave you with that today and uh, stay tuned next time for hearing about our adventure in Aurora, Texas, <laughs> uh, communing with Ned the Alien. <laughs> Ned the at, Alien at, in at Aurora, Texas. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like this episode, leave us a comment and subscribe to our podcast. We're always looking for new material, so if you have a story you'd like to share, please feel free to reach out to us. Our contact information is in the description.